If you would, turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father, God, I thank you for this great opportunity, for this great responsibility you've put here, uh, that you've given us uh, to handle your word. I pray, Lord, that as we go through these scriptures, as we go through this text, that you would help me to bring out the truth that you have for us here as a body, that you would help us bring out the truth that would change the way that we think, that would cause us to um, apply it in our lives, Lord, that it would be encouraging, uplifting, convicting, but above all, it would glorify you, it would glorify your your Son, it would glorify the Holy Spirit, uh, that you, you would be magnified here this morning. God, and, and I pray... I just pray for all those here. Lord, you know the hearts of everyone. And I pray, Lord, that if there's whatever the need is, that you would meet it, that you would meet their need um, this morning spiritually. God, that uh, you would you would speak to us through this scripture. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, the last time that I preached... We went through the first part of First Peter 2, chapter 2. And if you remember, the, the biggest, kind of the, the overarching theme of that part of the chapter was how we are to deal with authorities. Um, and the truth is, as, I, as after that comes, and I think anybody who's ever preached can attest to this, the next few days, there's this conviction, there's this kind of an, it's, it's, maybe it's an attack from Satan, maybe it's partly that and partly conviction of the Holy Spirit on what we preached and how that's lining up with our lives. And the truth is, there's a lot of these things that I don't necessarily like. <laughs> the truth is, my flesh really doesn't like the fact that God told us here to submit to the authorities. In some cases, it's no problem. And in some cases, it's really difficult. And so just as I, as I meditated on that since then, it's like it, it preaches really well. It, it, I, can, I can see what it says in the scriptures and I can plainly or I hope I can plainly communicate that to you. But our application, it's difficult sometimes. And matter of fact, what Nate was talking about this morning, and it was a great example he used of the electricity's got to be there to power the motor. And that goes for those respectable sins, quote, respectable sins. We're talking about an equipping hour, and that certainly goes to submission. You can't do it. You can't submit to an authority that you don't feel deserves the submission outside the power of the Holy Spirit. He has got to be the one that we turn to to do that. And we have to ask him, I think. 
He'll give us the power, but we have to be in his word to see it. And we have to be in prayer to ask and we have to desire that thing. And, and it's a it's a just like in the equipping hour last week, the responsibility of man, yet the power of the Holy Spirit, that combination is so difficult, but it applies to every single thing in our Christian life. And as we move down to 18, to verse 18, it may not seem as much that this applies to us because the way it is in our culture, but I think it it still it, it applies the same. So let's let's read verse 18. He says, "Servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust." And so here where Peter's writing in Romans, the word servant here is actually talking about a household servant, somebody who would be there to serve the guests. And in most cases it was slavery. And I, so I thought, well, I wonder what slavery was like in ancient Rome. Has anybody studied much on slavery in ancient Rome? I thought it may not have been, you know, because obviously slavery has had a lot of different forms throughout history. And when we think of slavery, I think most of us probably picture the Deep South slavery in the you know early part of this country before the Civil War, all that stuff. And it was which was a horrendous thing. And so I thought, wonder if Roman slavery was that. So I did just a little bit of research, not a lot. Didn't take much to find out it was about the same. It was really, really bad, the way that they were treated. Um, so it, and it was definitely not uncommon because what Rome was doing, Rome was taking over the world. And when they would conquer people, the people that were fighting against them, when they would win the war, they became slaves. So... Matter of fact, the it was estimated in the time that Peter wrote this letter, nobody knows for sure, but it was estimated that in the Roman Empire there were about 60 million slaves. That is a phenomenal number. That means that the, when Peter's writing this letter, there's no doubt slaves are reading it. Slaves are hearing it read. People who are in bondage to other men are hearing this read. And just like in our country with, with slavery, some slaves were treated well, almost became part of the family, and in other cases, they weren't. They were treated horrendously, treated in ways that we wouldn't treat animals. But as, I, as, you, as you think about this, I want you to think about something. If a slave in the Roman Empire, was a Christian to a heathen master, how do you think they were treated? If you've ever, if you've ever talked much with an atheist or with people who are, who are against Christianity, you know there's a hostility that rises up real quickly, right? Have you guys experienced that? Maybe you've seen it even on YouTube, seen it on TV, different things. There's a hostility with unbelievers towards Christianity. Now, you take that person and you give them complete authority over a Christian, that's not going to be a pretty situation. They will treat that person about as bad as they can. But why? Why is this? Because darkness hates light. Darkness does not like 
A little bit of light runs the darkness. It runs, it exposes sin. So even if the Christian isn't saying anything to convict of sin, just being in the presence and seeing it exposes it. It, it convicts a non-believer of sin. And so to retaliate against this, the evil man, the sinful man that has all authority over that person are going to be um, extremely harsh on the Christian. So the, about the worst person to be in this time was a Christian slave. As far as your physical circumstances go, uh, was to be a slave. But look at what Peter says. He says, servants, slaves, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. If you look at Ephesians chapter 6, Paul, Paul says, Paul addresses the same thing. Chapter 6, verse 5. He says, bondservants or slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of the heart as to Christ. Be in obedient, be obedient to those as you are to Christ, not with eye servants as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. And Peter says, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. What's he say? Be subject. Be subject to these evil men. The ones who are treating you unjustly. Now, we look at this and none of us in here are slaves. Um, but does this still apply to us today? Is there situations in our culture, in, in our lives where we are subject to a master, so to speak, with complete authority. There are. There definitely are. One would be a military situation. If you're in the military and you're a private, you're subject to the sergeant, right? He's got authority over you. And, it, and, and I know there's people who have been in the military in here that probably understand this a whole lot better than I do, but if you disagree with the commander, whoever's in command, it doesn't really matter. You follow orders, right? So here we have kind of a situation like that. I also thought we go in the prison a lot. I thought about the prisoners. This this will be, and, and I will actually preach this in the prison at some point, but this is something that they definitely need to understand because there's times when those guards in the prison definitely abuse their authority. Not all the time. It's just like in the slavery. There's some, of, there's some of the guards who treat them really good, who treat them just like humans, just like we treat them. But there's other guards who don't. And Peter says here, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good but to the gentle. Or to the unjust. And then look at the next verse in 19. He says, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. It's a gracious thing. And if you remember just going through this entire book so far, Peter just keeps showing, by doing this, by receiving the persecution, 
It's basically giving glory to Christ. By receiving, um, by submitting to authority, it's giving glory to Christ. Even when the authority may be wrong, even outside of sinful things. Now, this always applies. It always applies. Here it applies as well. Even if you're a slave complete to authority, you can look at Daniel, who was a slave to Nebuchadnezzar. And when Nebuchadnezzar said, bow to this statue, Daniel didn't do it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't do it. In that case, when it, when it comes to directly sinning against God, you still don't do that. But in all other cases, which is most of the time, you submit to that authority. And why? Because it's gracious. You're showing that authority grace. And it's only by God's grace that we can possibly suffer unjustly in a quiet way. Because if we leave it to us, the quietest person in here at some point will have enough and just buck against it. Because that's what our flesh wants to do. But by God's grace, we can receive that punishment. And if you, I mean, just look through history. Look at the apostles. Look at Christ. Look at the apostles, mighty men of God. What happened to them? All but one was martyred. And the one that wasn't was tried. They tried. They couldn't kill him and they exiled him. And then through history, when you look at the Reformation, when you look at Christians in other places in the world right now, they're suffering unjustly. They don't deserve the persecution that's coming on them. But by God's grace, they're able to do it. And why? Because it gives God glory. Look at verse 20. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? What does that do? If you deserve to be punished and you're getting punished, that's not, that's not, you're not glorifying God in that. That's no credit. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. That's what grace is. And it is so, this is the part when I say it may be difficult. If you picture a slave in the time when Peter wrote this, they would be beaten with a rod. I mean, we don't understand, I don't think, persecution in this country. Um, you look back at the slavery time in the South in, in the pre-Civil War, and, you, and we, there's stories you can read, and we've heard, we've seen movies, all those things, and you watch it, and it just, it, if you watch those movies, it just gives you this deep pain inside, and it's almost like a, a hatred uh, uh, there's an anger there and it's disturbing and you just you cannot stand it and peter's saying and, and i and i actually believe that there's a lot of testimonies even from that time period in our south where the slaves did exactly what peter said they withstood they endured for the sake of grace because it points to grace it demonstrates grace any criminal can accept his punishment. Any criminal doesn't have any choice. Any slave who has sinned against his owner can endure the punishment that follows. But to suffer for doing good, that's a hard thing. That's a hard thing. Have you ever, have, even in a smaller sense, have you ever 
really tried hard to help somebody. You've done, you've been over backwards basically to help this person and they just kind of keep spitting in your face, not literally, but they just keep burning you. You just keep getting burned. And at some point, you know what that feels like. You know how that little thing makes you feel. It just makes you angry inside. Well, take that and multiply it times about 10, 20. And that's what you have that Peter's writing here for. It's only a result of his grace that we can withstand that. And then verse 21. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. You've been called? There's some, that's, some tough, that's some tough things to swallow, right? You've been called to this persecution. You have been called to this mis... Uh, or to this abuse by your masters. Going back to the first part of the chapter, if you're dealing with a boss that is that is out of line, that is over-dominant, you've been called to that. Dealing with, I don't know, authorities, police, you've been called to that. Because Christ also suffered, leaving you an example. What? Why? Why should we suffer for doing good? Why should we stay silent in the face of our masters if we are servants but we're doing good? The answer is really simple. That's what Christ did. That's what Peter's saying here. He left us an example. So why should we suffer? Why should we continue? Why should we submit? Because that's what Christ did. That's the example he set. That's the path he walked for us to follow in. Verse 22, he committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. Can we say that? Of course not. So truthfully, when we really start examining who we are, sinners by nature, sinners by application, up until the point of Christ, complete all we did, sinful thoughts, sinful actions, sinful heart. And now we want to talk about our rights. Verse 23, when he was reveled, he did not revel in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Turn to the book of John. Chapter 19, I love how Peter, he gives us hard doctrine, he gives us hard things to follow, and just like last week I said, has there ever been a man that could do this, and the answer was yes, it was Jesus, and now we're looking at servants being mistreated by their masters, and has there ever been a man that could do this, and the answer is yes, his name was Jesus, look at verse, look at chapter 19, starting with verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. He scourged him. When I talk to to people on the street, I'm presenting the gospel, I always say this. I always say there was one man who did not deserve to die. 
That's it. Out of all the millions of people, billions, however many it is that have been born on this earth, one didn't deserve to die. And this is what they did to him. Okay, He took him and he scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head and they put on him a purple robe. Then they said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they struck, struck him with their hands. If you were here last week, or if you weren't here and you missed Dylan's spoken word, I don't know if he's got that on recorded somewhere, but it was absolutely incredible. I got chills, then I cried, then I got chills again, because he so intricately put this. It, it, was, it was fantastic the way he brought out truth in this. He said something about the the eye that this guy that they're looking on him with. Jesus created that eye. The saliva that they used to spit on him with, he gave them the the glands that could create that. This is the creator we're talking about here. And they struck him with their hands. And they're mocking him. Have you ever watched somebody get mocked? Maybe a child get bullied, or somebody who's who's really pretty innocent, and they're just they're, somebody's making fun of them, and it just kind of you get this disgusting feeling. Can you imagine? Here we have the King of Kings being mocked. I think there's times when we forget. We can't get ourselves, we cannot picture it well enough. We can't get ourselves in that position to see what it really looked like when Jesus Christ, our Creator, was being mocked. And then to think that we were the ones that were mocking Him. And it says, Pilate went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing Him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in Him. And Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. And therefore when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. And the Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. And therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. He was silent. Now listen to what Pilate said here. Pilate said, then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? I heard it preached when I was a young Christian. Basically here, Pilate's saying, do you not know who I am? Can you imagine that gall? Can you imagine? You're talking about the one who was there when this was spoken into existence. You're talking about the sustainer not only the creator, he's the sustainer of life, and if he removes his hand for a second, this whole thing falls apart. We all die like that if he doesn't sustain our life. And Pilate's going to say to him, don't you know who I am? 
Isn't that incredible when we stop, when you just stop and think about that? But what does Jesus, what does our Lord do? Does he retaliate? Does he say, don't you know who I am? No. No, all he says is, he says, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Don't you know I have the power to crucify you? What did Jesus do? He submitted to his father and he went to the cross. He did not retaliate. He did not fight. He had complete power and he he submitted. But we want to talk about my rights, my entitlements, my feelings. Don't, isn't that what we do? And if you're honest with yourself, you've done it. I've done it. I get all upset because it's my rights. So the next time you're having a pity party, the next time you get down because everybody's not treating you the way you feel like you ought to be treated, ask yourself this question. Am I more privileged than Jesus? Am I more entitled than Jesus. Am I sinless? Is deceit found in my mouth? How do I re- how do I react when reveled? How do we? How do you react when people come against you? When people tempt you, when people mock you, how do we act? But here, Jesus, the creator, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the perfect lamb of God, He entrusts himself to him who judges justly. Shouldn't we do the same? Shouldn't we do the same? And then go on to verse 24 back in Peter. I love how Peter here, he doesn't leave us with just the instructions, but he gives us the how. He gives us how, we, how are we going to go forward with this. And the answer is in verse 24. We follow Christ. In verse 24 he says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. How do we live like this? How are these things possible? They're obviously not natural, Right? They go completely against the natural desires of mankind. Completely against it. So how do we do it? It's through the gospel. Peter points us back to the gospel. Don't try to go out and discipline yourself to do it. Although that's going to be important. But you can't do it with discipline. You can't do it with structure. You can't do it with a ten-step plan. You go back to the gospel he bore our sins in his body on the tree. It's through his wounds that we can accomplish this, not our wounds. Our wounds aren't strong enough. Our wounds are deserved. His weren't. That's why his have power. Our death is deserved. His wasn't. That's why his has power. If only, if only the professing Christians, if only the people who would proclaim the name of Christ 
would get this one verse. He bore our sins. He received the punishment that we deserved. But it wasn't without purpose. What was the purpose? Why did he do that? Why did he bear the sins? So that we would die to sin and live in righteousness. That's the part that seems to be missing from Christianity so much today. We'll hear about our forgiveness a lot, but we don't hear about what we're supposed to do after that, which is die to ourselves, die to our sins, and live in a righteous life, live in a holy way from there. But, I mean, what does it mean? What does it mean he received the punishment? It's the gospel. That is the gospel. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I remember the first time I heard this. I was raised in church. People would ask me what the gospel was. Actually, nobody ever asked me. I wish they would have. Nobody ever asked me. I just would use the word like most Christians do today. What's the gospel? Well, I don't know. It's the Bible. You'll hear that a lot if you ask somebody what the gospel is. It's the Bible. Oh, it's the New Testament. Oh, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. That's the gospel. Those are the gospels. The gospels account. But what is the gospel? Some people know it's the good news. Well, what's the good news? Uh, I, don't, I don't really know. I mean, it's just so lacking today. In amongst our churches, it's so lacking. In amongst our professing Christians, and I, I remember whenever the, fir- the first time this was taught to me, I was like, wow, it's really simple. Chapter 15 Verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. It's what I preached. Paul's saying, this is what I preached to you. It's how you're saved. That's what the gospel is. And then he tells exactly, verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture. He died, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. So the gospel is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I think probably in this church, most people know that. But we say it nonchalantly. It rolls off the tongue of the Christian much too easily. He is God. This is how serious sin is to God. When you start studying it, it's like I think Paul Washer said, you don't stop at the cross. It's not like you come to the cross and get forgiven and then you go on into some other area of Christianity. No, Christianity, discipleship, is moving deeper and deeper into the cross. We'll spend the eternity of eternities and not understand it completely because it's so depth, it's so complex, but yet it's so simple in its salvation. But when you start examining it, the amazing, the amazing thing about the gospel 
is this. It was the only way. It is the only way. Because God is perfect and just and holy, justice must be served on every sin and every sinner. But because God is merciful and gracious, he provided an escape that only he could provide. We could not do it, brethren. Ladies and gentlemen, you cannot do it. It cannot be done. Only he can provide it. Only the perfect life, only the sinless life, the holy being could die for another if you die in your sins it will take eternity and you won't receive the full wrath of god it takes an eternity to receive the punishment that you deserve but because christ was sinless because he lived the perfect life he could bear the entire wrath of god in a moment on the cross that's amazing you don't get that in buddhism you don't get that in islam That's only in Christ. It's only in Him that we can be saved. Jesus. He's the one. He's the one. And yet we want to try to... What do we want to try to water that down? Do we want to try to make that more palatable? Make you feel good about yourself? No. No, I want you to feel good about Christ. And you may be sitting here and you may be lost. You may be a professing Christian for your entire life and you haven't realized that, no, it's only through Christ. You may be counting on something else. You may be counting like I was on my baptism. I I got baptized. I have to be saved. No. You may be counting on a prayer you prayed. You may be counting on your, your grandpa was a preacher or I've been in church all my life, or I give to the poor, or I do this, I do that. If it is Christ plus anything, you've missed him. Verse 25, he says, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You were straying. I was straying. Trust me and believe me, I was straying. I was that little lamb that would like to get out of the fence and take off at a dead run. Some of them would stay kind of close to the fence, even though they're still on the outside where the wolves can get them. Nope, I'd run to the wolf, run to the lion. I was straying far from Christ. And the truth is we all are. If there's a fence in between there, there's a, there might as well be a mass canyon in between there because you're either with him or you're not. You're either with him or you're against him. And we were all straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer. Why should we endure a harsh master? Why should we endure persecution? Why should we persevere in difficult times as Christians? Because we were straying like sheep, but Christ has brought us back. There's no me. There was no I, hey, I decided I wanted to come back through the gate. No, he brought me back. The person persecuting you may be one of Christ's strange sheep. Have you ever thought about that? The harsh boss 
boss that you have, your parents who are bucking against you, or your, if you were, I mean, maybe it's a maybe it's an authority figure in the military, maybe it's a some sort of police officer, maybe it's a guard, maybe it, I mean it could be anybody that's persecuting you. It could just be a coworker at work that's an atheist that's just giving you fits. Or it could be a professing Christian who seem to be the ones who persecute us the most when we're out on the streets. But how you react to that could be what brings them to Christ. That person may be one of Christ's strange sheep and he may put you in their path to say you're going to get persecuted And how you react is going to soften their heart so they can hear the gospel. Think about that. That helps. Or it may be that somebody's persecuting you and somebody else is watching from a distance. And that person watching from a distance to see how you react. Justin, he always talks about Christ. Let's see what happens whenever it gets tough. And they're just sitting back watching. And I handle it wrongly. I handle it sinfully. What's that do to God's glory? Nothing. doesn't help him. But if I handle it the way Peter is instructing us, if I handle it graciously, if I handle it properly, that person, wow, he's the real deal. You know, if you've seen the movie Fireproof, right at the first of that movie, is it? It's it's actually one of the the acting's not real good yet. They kind of settle out through the movie, but in that movie, the um, couple of firemen getting off the fire truck and they talk about death and how you know I know the the one the Christian fireman says I know where I'm going when I die. And then after he walks off, the two other guys who are non-believers, he says when I die, one of them says when I die, I'm going in the ground. And Kirk Cameron, he says, well, you guys both seem pretty sure. But he said, we can both agree. I don't remember his name in the movie, but he's the real deal. And the truth is, non-believers, other religions, atheists, humanists, all of them have us as professing Christians under a microscope. And that's the testimony we want to have. Well, whatever, I don't know, but that guy lives what, he, he walks what he's saying. He lives it out. And that is the, I mean, that is so important. We can preach the gospel. We should preach the gospel. We've been commanded to preach the gospel. But if our lives don't line up with it, it's not going to be effective. God's not going to use it. But if our lives will line up with it, if our marriages will line up with it, if our jobs will line up with it, then he will use that. And it may be our perseverance. It may be our silence in the face of adversity. It may be our silence in the face of mocking or our lack of action um, in a retaliation in a physical way. That's what it meant to turn the other cheek. It wasn't that Christ wanted us to just be weak. He doesn't want us to be weak, but he wants us to be strong in him. And if somebody hits you and you turn the other cheek, that's going to affect them. That's not the natural reaction. We want the world 
to look at us differently. We want the world to notice there's something different about those Christian people. That's how we're to live our lives. And it's because of the gospel. And it's through the gospel that we can do that. And it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do that. I thought about going on into the next chapter. But I thought the way Peter ended, uh, I mean, whoever put the chapter break in this one, I thought put it in the right place. It's just a fantastic place to stop. But I would like to reiterate what he says there at the end in, in Second Peter. Let me get back over there. I mean First Peter, I'm sorry. I want to read that. Just go back to verse 21 and let's read that again. For to this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reveled did not revile in return. When he suffered he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, and have not returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If you are already in Christ here this morning, you can give praise to him. I love that psalm that Tim read. Give praise. Everybody give praise. Why? Because he's worthy of our praise. And if you're, if you're saved and you're found in Christ this morning, you can do that. You can give praise to the one who saved you. No matter what your circumstances are, no matter how hard things may seem, you are in Christ. He has set his affection and he has set his love on you. And that is worthy of our praise. And you may be here this morning and you may not know him. You may have thought you know him and you may be hearing this and thinking never heard i've never thought about it that way i've never heard anything like that or maybe god is just convicting your heart saying i haven't truly submitted to christ i haven't truly given him my life if that's the case i just pray i just ask you turn to him turn to him in faith repent Whatever it is that's out there, whatever sin it is that's keeping you from him, whatever, I I don't know. I don't know what it is. Each person's different. There's something that you're holding on to. Let it go. Repent of that. Change your mind and come to Christ. And you can do that right where you're sitting. You can do that at home. The truth is, if Christ doesn't do it in you, it hasn't been done. So call out to him. Seek after him. Cry out to him because he is the one who can save you. Let's pray. Father, God, I thank you so much and I want to give you praise. I just want to give you praise for who you are, for the fact that you could have left us completely stray. You could have let us go to the wolves. You could have let us die. And it would have been completely just 
But you chose to save us. And you made the sacrifice to do it. And I I pray, God, for my heart, for the hearts of those who are hearing, that we would better understand how big a sacrifice that was. That we would better understand the punishment that we should have had, which will better help us to better understand the grace that has been given to us. Lord, I pray I, I pray for any who aren't believers that you would draw them, that you would set your affection on them and pursue them until they would repent. God, and, and for those who are believers, I pray that this would give comfort, that this would give encouragement, that we would glorify you. And as if persecution comes, if hard times come, if these difficult situations come if a difficult person comes in our life that we would treat that person that we would react in a way that would reveal your grace and point them to christ and in his name i pray amen